This is Out of the Woodworks, a podcast dedicated to the life, times, and creations of Edward D. Wood Jr. I'm your host, Kenny Pick, and on this inaugural edition of Out of the Woodworks, we'll be joined by Joe Blevins from Edward Wednesdays, Rick Tell, writer and musician who is currently developing a musical film called Dreamer, based on the life of Edward, and Bob Blackburn, owner-operator of the Edward Facebook page curator of short fiction by Ed Wood, and someone who has a deep personal connection to the legacy of Ed Wood, which you'll learn about in this podcast. Here's a story from fact. Now I tell you a tale of the threshold people. So astounding that some of you may faint. This is a story of those in the twilight time. Once human, now monsters, in a world between the living and the dead. Monsters to be pitied, Monsters to be despised. Well, that's your own story. You wrote it and you're stuck with it. There's no such thing as monsters. This is the most fantastic story I've ever heard. And every word of it's true, too. That's the fantastic part of it. When I set out to do this podcast series, I thought it would be fun to swap stories and ask simple questions about Ed Wood, but as Ed Wood's life was never simple, I never got simple answers, and that's a good thing. The conversations I had in the three interviews I conducted were really fantastic, and I hope we can replicate something like this for future installments of Out of the Woodworks. And Out of the Woodworks isn't just a name for Ed Wood's works, it's also a matter of people come out of the woodwork wanting to talk about Edward D. Wood Jr. And everybody has their own special interest in Ed. Because in his 40-year career, not only did he produce some highly underrated, high-quality work, but a lot of it. Most people will remember Ed Wood from the Tim Burton, Johnny Depp film from the 90s, or maybe the Golden Turkey Award, his film Plan 9 from Outer Space was given, and of course all the wonderful and apocryphal stories that accompany Plan 9. But there's a lot more to Ed Wood that a lot of people don't know. He was a voluminous writer. He made commercials and short films. And after a relatively short run making low-budget horror, sci-fi, and exploitation films, Ed moved on to the adult entertainment industry. Ed's life was not easy. He struggled with alcoholism. And as many people may know from his first feature film, Glen or Glenda, he was an unabashed and unashamed crossdresser. He was a pioneer on that social issue and many others in his first motion picture. My introduction to Ed Wood came in a very roundabout way. When I was about 18 or 19, I was at a used record store and I picked up a CD that said Plan 9 from Outer Space. It said it was the entire soundtrack for the film. Little did I know it wasn't just music. It was literally all the sound from the film, minus a chase scene, I believe. I was always a big fan of old-time radio, so I found this little artifact of Plan 9 on a CD to be fascinating. I listened to it over and over. I transcribed all of the dialogue on lined notebook paper in my bedroom one night. I had to find this movie, and it took me forever to track it down. It wasn't until I went to Colorado Springs for a summer to visit my sister that I found the film in a Colorado Springs video rental store. I tried to buy the copy, but they wouldn't sell it to me. But I finally got to see it, and I was amazed. The movie was fantastic. Yeah, I get it where everybody sees all the faults in the film, 
But to me, it made it all the more charming, and it made me love Ed Wood and his work even more. From here, I kept trying to track down a copy of it. This is when it was just VHS tapes in the early 90s. And I would get copies of Rhino Records catalogs where they sold movies, and I'd find some there. And then find Film Facts magazines and order from Something Weird Video or Sinister Cinema. So I was able to track down a handful of Ed Wood movies gradually, slowly but surely, I got them on VHS. And then one day, I was living in Kent, Ohio. And on campus, they had a screening of Johnny Depp and Tim Burton's Ed Wood film. And I went to see that movie. I fell in love all over again. Was even more thrilled to try and find out everything I could about Ed Wood. I bought Rudolph Gray's Nightmare of Ecstasy, which you'll hear mentioned throughout the course of this program because because just about every big Ed Wood devotee has read that book. I think I have three copies of it. After I had seen the Tim Burton film and read Nightmare of Ecstasy, I actually ended up writing a screenplay, much in the spirit of Plan 9 from Outer Space, Night of the Ghouls, Bride of the Monster. It was called Mr. Magico and Dr. Cosmotron Conquer the World and Beyond, but that script is a story for another day. In the late 90s, I got involved in small press publishing of comic books I was working on with some friends, and we never really made a go of it, never made any money, but I made some interesting connections. And one year at the Pittsburgh Comic Con, I met a fellow named Conrad Brooks. I was thrilled to meet Conrad Brooks because he was one of Ed Wood's regulars. He'd been in Glenner, Glenda, Jailbait, Plan 9 from Outer Space, and I think maybe a couple others. I developed a friendship with Conrad, and I actually talked to him about possibly trying to produce the movie script I wrote and talked to each other at length on the phone for the better part of two years. This was back in the early 2000s. Conrad and I, unfortunately, never recorded any of the interviews we had, and I gradually lost touch with him. And unfortunately, he passed away in December of 2017, so all I have is memories of talking to him about working with Ed Wood and his own projects and just everyday life. But it was a real treat to know Conrad, and that's kind of where my Ed Wood story ends to a certain degree, other than trying to collect all of the new stuff that's come out over the last several years, and there has been a lot of it. And recently, I've had the privilege of joining the ranks of the Facebook group Ed Wood Jr., run by Bob Blackburn. But that's enough from me. Let's hear from our guests on the show. Here's some brief introductions. Hi, I'm uh, Joe Blevins. I'm a writer and blogger. My blog is called Dead to Rights. It's at d2rights.blogspot.com. And I am the originator of a series of articles called Ed Wood Wednesdays. My name is Rick Tell. My uh, interest in the Ed Wood is a, uh, a musical comedy that I have written about Ed Wood called Dreamer, uh, and uh, it, uh, it has evolved into a screenplay of a movie musical, which is what I'm hoping to promote here and get produced. My name is Bob Blackburn. I'm an heir to Ed Wood, and I tell people, well, half and nothing is nothing. You know, plan four and a half from outer space. So there's a little bit of a tease for everybody, especially for Bob at the end there. The way I've cut up the interviews is, for the most part, you'll be hearing from Joe Blevins, Rick Tell, and then Bob Blackburn, in that order, on a variety of different subjects. The first question I had for all three of them was what their connection was to Ed Wood. 
And here they elaborate a little bit more on their introductions. Okay, Joe, tell the folks a little bit more about Ed Wood Wednesdays. Ed Wood Wednesdays seeks to explore Ed Wood's uh, life and career uh, through his films and to an extent through his books and magazine articles and things like that. Well, there are occasional articles about people that he worked with. Uh, I did one about uh, Tor Johnson and Vampira, and I did one about Criswell. And I started that series on my blog at, a, I think, around 2013. Yeah, July 2013. Oh, my gosh, we're coming up on the fifth anniversary of this thing. The original plan had uh, been for the series to last two or three months, and now it is uh, going on five years. The reason for that is uh, more stuff has come to light uh, since I started writing these. More movies have com come out, books have come out, articles with new information have come out. And so there was so much more to cover that I eventually had to keep going with it. Uh, but even after 68 articles... I planned to write about 13 or 14. After 68 articles, I think I'd said just about all I felt I could say about Ed. Uh, and uh, since then, um, that was October 2015, uh, was when Greg Ziawer, who writes the column now uh, for my blog, uh, started. And it's still going, and it comes out every Wednesday. Uh, normally I try and post right after midnight on Wednesday, but sometimes if Greg gets the copy to me a little late, sometimes it's posted, you know, in the middle of the day or end of the day, but I usually come hell or high water. I try to get something out there about Ed Wood. All right. Rick, tell, do tell about your musical Dreamer. Dreamer, a musical comedy that I have written about Ed Wood it has evolved into a screenplay of a movie musical. You know, it's been a really interesting trail developing it, and uh, it's been a long time. The first uh, time I heard about somebody said to me, you know, what do you think about writing a musical about Ed Wood? It was all the way back in 1993, a year before the movie actually came out. And nothing came of that project, uh, so much does not in the creative world. But it planted a seed in my mind, and uh, about 10 years later, I picked up the idea by myself and decided to, uh, to write a musical. I've been in the music business uh, as a composer, uh, as a producer for since the 70s, really, uh, and in bands in the late 60s. Uh, Atlantic Records, I, I produced music on RCA, recorded at Electric Lady Studio, Jimi Hendrix Studio, RCA, CBS, Mercury Records. So I'll go back, um, and music is basically my set. Uh, but I got into it, into the... Uh, the theatrical with the Ed Wood project. So that's my connection with Ed Wood. Bob, you have a very uh, interesting and winding story about how you've become connected to the Ed Wood legacy. Where do you want to start? I live in Hollywood, California. I moved here in 1989 from Seattle to work in radio for a radio station called KISS FM, and I also worked for a satellite radio network. The building that I moved into, the apartment that I moved into, uh, it's kind of an uh, older building. There was uh, it was cheap, and there was also this little old lady that used to walk her dog out in front of the building, 
from time to time that I'd say hi to, just kind of a, a neighbor. Fast forward a few years, summer 1992, and Johnny Legend and Eric Caden of Hollywood Book and Poster were having a movie screening. They rented out a theater at the far end of Hollywood Boulevard to do these like 42nd Street cult movie film weekends for this one summer. And one of those weekends was an Ed Wood a thon, like, you know, like all, a whole weekend, three days of Ed Wood films and shorts and interviews and documentaries. And some of the people that actually had worked with Ed that were still alive at that time were there. One of the documentaries was called The Incredibly Strange Film Show that was hosted by Jonathan Ross. And it was a search for Ed Wood kind of a thing. And they interviewed people like Paul Marco. And uh, they also interviewed this woman, Kathy Wood, who was described as Ed Wood's widow in what I was seeing on the screen. And I was sitting next to a friend of mine and her and her boyfriend. And I turned to them and I said, I think that lady lives in my building. And sure enough, I went home that evening, looked at the mailbox. I knew what apartment she lived in. And it said, Kay Wood. A couple weeks later, I bumped into this woman in the hallway and said hi. Then I mentioned something about this Ed Woodathon, And I asked her, bluntly, if she was Kathy Wood, Ed Wood's widow. Turned out she was. Flash forward, I found out that there was going to be a film made about her husband, uh, starring Johnny Depp, featuring... Uh, well, with uh, Tim Burton and everything, and I helped. Uh, I, I told Kathy. I went down to her apartment, knocked on her door. She was very uh, protective and very, very closed. Uh, she'd been burned m many times in her lifetime, as I found out later, as our friendship developed. But I helped her get an entertainment lawyer back in 1992-93 to deal with the uh, film company, with the Disney people. And he also helped her with other um, legal things that came up. Uh, and she and I just became friends and uh, would take her grocery shopping. We'd go see movies together. I don't have any family or close friends here in Los Angeles. She was a neighbor, so after work I'd come down and hang out at her apartment and She'd tell me stories about Ed and stuff, and uh, eventually she passed away in 2006, and I'm one of her two heirs. So, uh, in effect, I'm one of the heirs of Ed Wood, <laughs> which cracks me up no end. Wow, so much fascinating information from everybody in the first half of that question. Although the second half, there's even more revelations about all three of the gentlemen I had on the show. Once again... We reset the roundtable with Joe Blevins. I got a question for you about Edward Wednesdays. Is, do you sure. think you would ever pursue possibly turning this into a book? I've been asked that several times, and I always tell people the same thing. I said, you know, people ask me, uh, you should, you know, you should write a book about Ed, and I, I always tell them I have. Uh, I just released it one chapter at a time for free. So nice. That's how I. Yeah, that's how I feel. Um, you know, uh, one thing that's, that's uh, vanished from the series <laughs> entirely uh, was the way I had it structured at the beginning was uh, chronological. Mm -hmm. uh, what happened was over the years I had amassed a number of Ed Wood movies on DVD, and the original plan was to shuffle them into basically chronological order and then go through those films in order, and hopefully through that it becomes sort of a uh, 
ersatz or quasi-biography of Ed because I'm talking about his life and his career uh, as they're reflected in these different movies. And originally the plan was to go from 1948 uh, to 1978. Basically, that's a 30-year career of making or trying to make movies. So ultimately, we, we had to kind of abandon that structure because, uh, you know, more movies came out from like the middle of his career and things like that. And so uh, that structure lasted for the first 28 articles. I see that Hot Ice was uh, the 28th article in the series, and that was the last movie that he worked on in 1978. But then it's just kind of, you know, been random stuff ever since mm-hmm. then. And so, yeah, there's not been, there's no plans for a book. But eventually, though, this is something, uh, you know, uh, I don't think I'm capable of doing, but I think somebody will have to do, is to do a full-on prose biography of Ed. You know? Yeah. Because uh, the one book that's out there, that people, including me, still use as the main source is uh, Nightmare of Ecstasy by Rudolf Gray. And uh, it's a great source of information. But people look at it and it's it's really uh, sort of patchy and it's just a bunch of different quotes. And it's not really uh, a full uh, text, yeah. you know, the way that people are used to. So somebody will eventually have to write that book. I remember seeing in the, I've never read it, but I remember seeing in the library this like mammoth two-volume biography of elvis presley mm-hmm. and i don't know i think creel marcus might have written it or something and i thought well at the rate we are accumulating info about edward d wood jr we're gonna have to write like a two volume uh biography of him and i thought maybe like volume one would be like the clean years and volume two would be the sleazy years pivoting back to rick tell i asked him about his cast of characters in his screenplay for dreamer it's actually um, quite a large cast, and one of the things about Ed Wood that interested that that I thought was really cool was that his friends, his entourage, so to speak, um, were incredibly bizarre, unique personalities. I mean, you couldn't make this—you know—you couldn't make these people up. No, they would believe you. I mean, so you have Bear Lugosi, right? You know, an icon, and, and, and um, anybody who likes horror, one of their has to be one of their favorites, obviously, a legend. Uh, you had the amazing Criswell, who was a wacko, right? I mean, uh, crazy guy, really, you know, very, very funny, but uh, in a serious way, of course. You had the beautiful but yet uh, gothic evil vampire. Uh, you know, you know, which you know, who was like a Morticia um, Adams type person, you know, person, and then you know, in her character. You and then you had some others, you know, some other people, uh, you know, along the way. That uh, others, uh, Paul Marco, a friend of his. I mean, they, all these people were real people, but mm-hmm. each one of them was, was such a personality. I mean, and of course, how can you forget Tor Johnson? Thor yeah. Johnson, you know, you know, was a 400-pound or whatever he was, a wrestler uh, with the bald head that everybody puts the mask on for Halloween, you know. And, uh, and uh, you know, and these are all real people, and they were all his friends, and, and they were in his movies and different times. And uh, so, so really, so, so really all these characters in the, are in the musical, all of them, all of them, you know, that I mentioned. After the unfortunate loss of Kathy Wood, her friend Bob Blackburn 
details his next steps in preserving the legacy of Edward D. Wood Jr. After Kathy passed away, I really started getting more into Ed and Ed Wood and his life and career and all of that. Um, I wished I would have asked her more questions while she was still alive, but I didn't. But I started a Facebook group. There were a couple of Yahoo groups uh, devoted to Ed, which I kind of got onto to find out more about what was going on in the world of Ed, like people releasing things or whatever. In fact, that's how I met Rick Tell, uh, who has a musical about Ed that he's been working on. But I eventually started a Facebook group uh, for Ed Wood aficionados and fans. Uh, it's kind of a closed group, so I don't get a bunch of looky-loos and people spammers and stuff in there. Um, there's filmmakers, there's wannabe filmmakers, there's fans, there's writers. A lot of people that have an affinity for Ed are in this group, and I'm, I'm really glad that I, uh, that I started it. And uh, it's, it's grown slowly but surely over the last couple of years, and I'm, I'm very happy that, uh, that I'm getting a chance to talk about it now. So maybe there'll be a link somewhere, and uh, we can get you into it too. I also started collecting some of the magazines, the adult magazines that Ed wrote short fiction for back in the early 1970s. I actually have a copy of his resume that a friend of mine gave to me, and it list, Ed listed three years' worth of uh, his short stories and articles that he wrote for Bernie Bloom publications, um, mainly Pendulum Press, Calga Press. And so I started collecting those off of eBay, buying them anywhere from like $10 to, I think, 80 or $90 is probably the most I ever paid for an individual magazine. And back uh, about three years ago, OR 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 Press, I'm not sure how they pronounce it, actually released a volume of 33 uh, of Ed's short stories called Blood Splatters Quickly which was the title of one of his stories, and I wrote a foreword for the book. I've collected more. I found another publisher, actually, and we're hoping to get another book of Ed's short fiction published here sometime around his birthday, 2018. Um, the book is called Angora Fever, the short fiction of Edward D. Wood Jr., and it'll be another 33 or four short stories and we're also, the same publisher has a adult arm of their publishing company, and Spare Manor is the name of the publisher, but they also do something called Bear Manor Bear, B-A-R-E, where they do more adult-themed uh, books. And I have a collection of some of Ed's stories are a little bit too raunchy for just regular publication for like a, a G rated or even a PG or whatever rated uh, format. So these stories are uh, going to be released on the, uh, the other imprint and the book is going to be called Insatiable, the triple X stories of Ed Wood. At the beginning of this podcast, I explained how I discovered Ed Wood. So naturally, I wanted to find out how everybody else discovered his work. First, we hear from Joe Blevins. My story might be different from most in the fact that I was reading about Ed, Ed's movies long before I ever saw any of them. Now, I was growing up in the 1980s in Flushing, Michigan, which is a suburb of Flint. Back then, there wasn't obviously any internet. I don't think we had cable. There might have been a video store or two in town. But really, what you had to go by was what was on your local television channels, what was in the newspaper, maybe what was at the library. 
And we didn't really get a lot of information in those days about sort of weird or underground movies or things off to the side of the movie industry. We didn't get a lot of information like that. So my way of finding out about weird movies was to browse through video guides that would come out every year. Uh, there was obviously uh, Leonard Maltin's video guide, and that one was great because it would come out to grocery stores. So while my mother would be shopping for groceries, I would be flipping through the Leonard Maltin guide. And then there were ones like the Video Movie Guide and Hallowell's Guide and uh, maybe Video Hound. I don't know if Video Hound was out by then. But that's where I started seeing the name Edward D. Wood Jr. And the way I used to try and find the weird movies in video guides, since they're these giant dictionary-sized books, is uh, I would look for all the zero-star movies or one-star, whatever had the lowest ratings. And that might seem like a weird way to find movies, but it was how I found out about John Waters and Herschel Gordon-Lewis and Russ Meyer and Edward D. Wood Jr. Uh, That was how I found out, was uh, looking for all the ones that got like the lowest, worst ratings in the books. Back then, you know, critics were not as hip as they are now, and they didn't really like that kind of weird, raunchy stuff, or they didn't like anything that was kind of um, not very professional or very slick. And now there's more hip movie critics. And I guess even at that time, there might have been hip movie critics in New York or Los Angeles, but there certainly weren't any in the, you know, the Flint, Michigan area. So that was how I found out. I would find uh, the little capsule reviews. But then in high school, uh, this was in the 90s by this time, uh, two pretty good things happened for me. One, I found two amazing books at a bookstore, local bookstore. Uh, One was Cult Movies by Danny Perry, and the other was Midnight Movies by Jonathan Rosenbaum and Jay Hoberman. And this was like the mother load. This was listing all the really bizarre, strange movies that I knew must have been out there in the world. Because as a kid, I always knew that there was this world of weird movies that that, uh, must be out there somewhere. And now, of course, we have the Internet. We have streaming services. All this stuff is available instantly but uh back then it was a real thrill to find about find out about all this stuff in these books uh in the first cult movies books uh there is a kind of a like a three or four page essay about uh plan nine from outer space in midnight movies uh there's a section where they're talking about glenn or glenda and so from these i got really obsessed with with Ed, uh, with Ed Wood and his movies and wondering what his movies could possibly be like. So now we're talking about like five or six years into it, and I'd still not seen any of his movies. But uh, the other amazing thing that happened uh, in 1992, there was for no earthly reason at all, an Ed Wood movie marathon in Flint, Michigan. And this was... Uh, two years before the Tim Burton film came out, so nobody knew who he was and why one of the local colleges would put on an Ed Wood movie marathon is still to this day beyond me, but I'm glad they did uh, because I finally got to see his movies. And the thing that made me, I guess, a, a fan to the point where, like, you know, almost 30 years later, I'm still writing about uh, Ed is that the movie's not only lived up to my expectations, but exceeded them. Here's Rick Tell with his Journey of Ed Wood Discovery. As a kid, you know, back in the late 60s, early 70s, 
I saw some of the movies. I saw Plan 9 from Outer Space and Bride of the Monster on television. I think it was on, like, Chiller Theater. I was in New York, grew up in New York City. And so, you know, that was on... I was always into horror pictures. I used to love, even as a little kid, I used to love the, a character named Zachary. <laughs> Zachary here. I did introduce myself. Zachary here in the old castle. I'm a great collector of all the most dreadful of the old films. Very much like Vampyra, only Vampyra was in the West Coast and Zachary was on the East Coast and I think also in Philadelphia. But obviously I saw him when he had a New York show. And anyway, and so I love, always loved monster movies. You used to make the monster models, you know, uh, that you would buy and you would paint them and put them together. So we was really a big, always a big fan of monsters. And so um, those two movies, you know, were, uh, were in the rotation, I guess, for Chiller Theater, Plan 9, uh, From Outer Space, and um, Bride of the Monster. So uh, that's how I first got, you know, inter uh, exposed to Ed Wood's work. But, you know, but I didn't really know who Ed Wood was. And it wasn't until 1993 that, uh, some, like I said, some other people wanted to do a, uh, you know, made an attempt to do a musical about Ed Wood. And they asked me to write some music for it. And in order to write, the music, I learned a lot about Ed Wood. I, uh, eventually, I bought the book, um, I guess, 10 years later when I wanted to do it myself, uh, um, Nightmare of Ecstasy, which, which, you know, which is kind of like the Ed Wood Bible. Uh, so much information about Ed Wood in that book by um, Rudy Gray. In fact, the movie, the Ed Wood movie, was based on information from that book, too. So that's how I got you know, involved, you know, and learned about it. And last but certainly not least, Bob Blackburn explains how he first encountered the works of Edward D. Wood Jr. I actually first heard Ed in the early 1980s when I was living up in Seattle. Um, I heard about Plan 9, heard about the Golden Turkey Award and all that kind of thing. And they, every so often you'd see a flyer on a street corner for a screening, generally either at a, at a college or some art house or something like that in Seattle. And I just never had a desire or took the time to go see the movie. It was kind of like the Rocky Horror Picture Show in my mind. It just was like one of those weird cult things. So to be honest with you, I didn't really see Plan 9. I just got immersed in it that one weekend. I mean, all of a sudden, I'm seeing everything. You know, I jumped jumped into the deep end with watching Ed Wood films. I was there for all three days, $5 a day. You know, they were showing like, you know, two or three full-length features. Then they were showing these documentaries. Then they were having like showing the Remington commercials with Kenny Duncan. For these first shots, I'm using my Remington 5.52 auto-loading 22 caliber rifle. This gun has beautiful balance. It's extremely accurate and most versatile because it will take shorts, longs, or long rifle cartridges. I'm using 22 shorts. So, here we go. I use Neko wafers as targets. When hit, they shatter into a thousand pieces. They brought a lot of home movies and a lot of stuff that I've found out since was really rare stuff. And I'm not sure who collected it all. I think I think Eric and, and Johnny Legend went to a couple of various sources here in Hollywood to amass all the uh, the films that they showed that weekend. So, like I said, I jumped in the deep end. Plus, they had some of the some of the people, like I said, that had worked with Ed. Forrest Ackerman was there. Paul Marco was there. Uh, Vampire, Malin Ermi was there. 
Uh, Val DeHansen was there. Uh, Steve Apostoloff was there. So I just jumped into the deep end. So as you can see, everybody comes to Ed Wood in their own very unique way. There's no right way or wrong way to be initiated into the wild and woolly world of Ed Wood. And I always love hearing about these unique encounters. The next questions are some of my favorites because I'm asking the question that everybody wants to ask every other Ed Wood fan out there. What's your favorite stuff about Ed Wood? What's your favorite movie? What's your favorite scene? What's your favorite line? Who are your favorite players in the Ed Wood pantheon? So we're going to start off with my first question. What is your favorite work of Ed Wood? Not just movies, but what's your favorite work? For the sake of time, I'll just say my personal favorite is Plan 9 from Outer Space for various reasons, but I do love all of his other works, even the sleazy stuff. But let's see what Joe Blevins has to say about his favorite. It has always been and will always be Glenn or Glenda. People. All going somewhere. All with their own thoughts, their own ideas. All with their own personalities. One is wrong because he does right. And one is right because he does wrong. Pull the string. Dance to that. Which one is created for? Uh, it will always be Glenn or Glenda. It is the film that made me a fan. It was not the absolute first film that I ever saw by him. The absolute first one. They were all uh, at that Edward movie marathon in 1992. But I think it was the second movie on the bill that night. But it was the one that blew my mind. Because I didn't know that there could be a movie like this. Uh, it felt like a dream, or, or it felt like someone's actual dream had been somehow captured perfectly on the screen. Um, it's a film I never get tired of. Uh, it's a, even though I've seen it now, it's got to be the one I've seen the most. It's got to be upwards of a hundred times seeing it. But it's only like an hour long, so it doesn't like it doesn't take up much of your time. Uh, it's my absolute favorite of the films, and. This is something that, that strikes me as weird with Ed Wood fans. Some uh, don't actually like uh, Glenn or Glenda, and they will say they prefer uh, Bride of the Monster or Plan 9 from Outer Space. And one of the reasons that they give for that is that those movies are more like, quote-unquote, real movies, or they're more like normal sort of mainstream movies. They're the ones that come closest to being sort of like coherent, normal movies that you'd see, you know, like, uh, you know, more experienced or higher yeah. budget filmmakers making. Uh, the ones that are most palatable to, to, to everybody. But uh, to me, it, that's not a good way to judge the movies because, you know, if what you want is like a, a competent, normal science fiction or horror film, there's lots of directors who can run rings around Ed and judging him by like his most normal or most mainstream, most coherent is to me like having a contest to see who can whisper the loudest, you know, you know, you can, or who can, or I saw this one guy on, on uh, TV. He was trying to set a, a record for walking the fastest without running, you know? <laughs> yeah. And 
the sportscaster was the local sportscaster was trying to take that seriously, but he couldn't do it. He couldn't keep a straight face while watching this footage of this guy trying to walk as fast as he could without actually running. Because if you're trying to go fast, just run. Yeah. You know, but the rules say he has to, you know, walk without running. So uh, to me, you know, Bride of the Monster or Plan 9, I guess, although I dearly love those movies, um, Glenn or Glenda is the one where it just feels the most like him. And, and it feels like him and no one else in the world. Let's find out Rick Tell's favorites. Probably I would have to say pick number one uh, would be Bride of the Monster because of the, of the Bela Lugosi actually being in it, you know. So that's probably, you know, that's my favorite. How come my dear? Some cream or sugar? You didn't have your breakfast yet. Now it's past noon. You must be hungry. What happened to me? Your automobile. An accident. Robo brought you here to me. What is this place and who are you? Don't you remember I told you last night? Did you tell me? Yes. I'm Dr. Eric Warno. And then second place uh, would be Plan 9 for a lot of space, you know. Plan 9. Ah, yes. Plan 9 deals with the resurrection of the dead. Long-distance electrode shot into the pineal pituitary glands of recent dead. Have you attempted any of this plan as yet? Yes, Excellency. I mean, I've seen just about everything, uh, but those are the ones that are the most, to me, the most uh, iconic of Ed Wood's, you know, style. You know, you know. Uh, so anyway, so that, those are my favorites. Yes. Bob Blackburn definitely has the most unique picks on this list of favorite Ed Wood works. And for very good reason. That's a tough one for a lot of different reasons. I mean, he he was so prolific in all these different areas besides, you know, the films. I mean, you have to consider his novels and his short stories and short fiction. And I've read a lot of uh, his short fiction, a lot, probably a lot more than the average uh, Ed fan or reader at this point in time, only because I've been collecting. I have over... I mean, do I have about a hundred of Ed's short stories, not to mention the articles? Um, but I'm partial. One of the things that Kathy had that she showed me as she trusted me, this is probably three or four years into our friendship. She went into her hall closet one day and brought out this old suitcase and she opened it up and she pulled out a couple of things. One of them was a manuscript for uh, a book, Hollywood Rat Race. And she let me take it to my apartment and read it. And that was just, for her to trust me, that was great. There also was a script for a film called I Woke Up Early the Day I Died. And we eventually got that made into a movie, even though it hasn't come out. So I'm kind of partial to those two things, only because I was kind of there to help get them off the ground. I mean, Bob, uh, the lawyer actually got the uh, Hollywood Rat Race published, and he also was instrumental in getting the film uh, to a producer and getting it made. So I feel like those are probably the two most special works of Ed for me. I tell people Hollywood Rat Race, the closest thing he ever came to writing an autobiography, and mm -hmm. it is, you know. So yeah. um, I, I had, it was so funny, because I actually, at reading this manuscript, I had an idea that I wanted to do for the book which was to get like public domain black and white photos of Hollywood in the 1950s. So when he's talking about a place or people or 
a feel or something like the bus station in Hollywood in 1949, 50, whatever, mm-hmm. that there's on, on that chapter leading into it, there's a black and white photo. So I always wanted to do something that was more pictorial with with that manuscript, but obviously that didn't happen. I don't, you know, whatever. There's one very important trait to every one of Ed Wood's films, and that is that they are highly quotable. So here I wanted to get some insight on what favorite quotes might be from my guests, including Joe Blevins starting off with some of his favorite moments from Glenn or Glenda. One of my favorite uh, scenes in the movie is when Glenn is distraught and he goes to uh, see his friend uh, played by, I think by a guy named Charlie Crafts, I think is the guy's name. And he apparently worked in other movies for George E. Weiss. And there's just this famous scene where they're in this kitchen talking to each other and it's two guys talking to each other but the, what's strange about it is that it looks like a scene from like a 1950s soap opera because if you watch old black and white soap operas a lot of them are just uh, housewives in kitchens complaining to each other about things you know and like talking about their feelings very earnestly and that's what happens in this scene um and i just like the way uh, johnny says his lines like i'm headed right for the kicking He's supposed to say kitchen, but he says it kicking. And hit it right for the kitchen. Which I don't know why. And he says, I, I can't, can't let, let that, that dinner burn. And to me, he kind of sounds like a, like the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz or something. The way he talks, he has this very strange accent. Perfect. Uh, bang on my chest if you think I'm perfect. And the reason why the scene is so famous is that it's the one that eventually leads to one of the most famous monologues in any Ed Wood movie, which is, My Mind's in a Muddle. Like in a thick fog. I can't make sense to myself sometimes. I thought I could stop wearing these things. I tried, honestly, I tried. I haven't had a stitch of them on for nearly two weeks until tonight. Then I couldn't stand it anymore. I had to put them on and go out of my mind. I'm afraid I'll lose her. I don't want that to happen because I really love her. And some people point to this as an example of like bad acting, but I actually think uh, Ed Wood uh, as Glenn is really, really good in this scene. He seems so sincere, and uh, this is so much like a guy just uh, portraying himself uh, that I think it would be hard to top that as being my my favorite scene in, in any in any Ed Wood movie. But uh, if I had to put like a second, it would be any scene in um, Plan 9 from Outer Space where Tord Johnson is allowed to, uh, to talk. Who found them? The man and girl. Medical uh, examiner being around yet? Just left. The morgue wagon ought to be along most any time. You get their statement? Yeah, much as we could. They're pretty scared. Finding a mess like this ought to make anyone frightened. Have one of the boys take the guy and the girl back to town. You take charge. Okay, Inspector. Wherever they trust Tor with dialogue is some of my favorite stuff. Let's find out some of Rick Tell's favorite quotable moments from the Edwood Library. Yeah, you know, my favorite lines, so there are two. One, you know, like in my favorite line, The Bride of the Monster, is home, I have no home. Uh, the, the, spe- the whole speech by Baylor there. Uh, Hunted like an animal with that whole scene. Oh.
I have no home. Hunted. Despised. Living like an animal. The jungle is my home. That I will show the world that I can be its master. I will perfect my own race of people. A race of atomic supermen which will conquer the world. <laughs> and Balaam liked that from what I have read. He loved that speech too. And then it was real Balaam. It was one of the last things that he ever did that was truly in his style on film. You know, that was decent. Um, uh, I think he did a movie or two after uh, Bride of the Monster, but uh, you know, nothing to brag about. You know, pretty silly stuff. But, uh, um, and then, of course, uh, these stupid, stupider. You see? You see? Your stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. That was uh, Dudley Manlove's line. I always think that's pretty funny. I love that one, too. So anyway, those are my favorite lines from Edward Pope's Ah, yes, the classic Stupid Minds. You're stupid, stupid. A classic from Plan 9 from Outer Space. I wonder if Bob Blackburn will agree. I repeat it every time I go driving in in Hollywood. It's stupid, stupid. Yeah, you of Earth are stupid. It's just I can't help it because people here are stupid, and there you go. I mean, that really is probably my favorite line. I mean, there are so many of them, but that just seems to sum up you know, everything. I think that's kind of Ed's philosophy, too. Next on the agenda is to find out who everybody's favorite Ed Wood player is. Some tops of mine are Criswell, Bella Lugosi, and Conrad Brooks. But to pick one as a favorite is kind of difficult. But I absolutely respect the answers from all the fine gentlemen on this program, including Joe Blevins. My favorite recurring player or regular, it has to be Criswell. Greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. It has to be Criswell, because uh, I didn't have any idea who he was when I saw Plan 9 from Outer Space for the first time. And it has fascinated me to find out what kind of a life and a career that he actually did have you know, the uh, the column and the radio show and the books that were bestsellers and the live appearances that he did and the fact that he was that he was the personal psychic to Mae West and all this stuff. But I didn't know that when I first saw those movies and it didn't matter. This guy would have been fascinating to me under any circumstances. Uh, just his hair, his tone of voice, that weird sort of kiss curl that he has in the middle of his forehead, just his very flowery way of speaking and, I don't know, just the way he dressed and the way he carries himself on screen. That's why I love the soundtrack to Orgy the Dead, because it includes all that Criswell narration, and it includes one of my favorite uh, Criswell lines, which is... Ah, the curiosity of youth on the road to ruin may, may it, it ever be so, so adventurous. adventurous. And... You know, the people that he's talking about are not youthful or adventurous in any way that I could tell, but um, it he, he sells it with his, uh, he, he gives that line a lot of conviction. You know, the part of uh, Orgy of the Dead where they're painting Pat Berenger gold and then they 
throw yeah. gold at her. And he's saying, throw gold at her. More gold, more gold, more gold. Then they're throwing like, these plastic coins at her. And he also says in that movie, uh, a pussy cat is born to be whooped. Yeah. And I don't know <laughs> where he gets these lines. And torture, and torture, torture, it pleasures me. Yeah, that's probably why he's my favorite. Torture, torture, it pleasures me. That is a lot of love for Criswell, and I can respect that. Let's see where the love goes this round from Rick Tell. Tor Johnson. Take Plan 9 from Outer Space. You have Tor Johnson as a detective before he turns into the to, to the zombie and you can't understand the damn word the guy says what are you going to do look around that little it's pretty dark out there once you get beyond the range of those lights you won't be able to see your hand in front of your face i will get one of the flashlight from the patrol car hey, be careful clay i'm a big boy now johnny his dialogue is, is, is indecipherable i I mean, that's what it sounds like, okay? I mean, it's really, you have to really listen carefully to understand what he's saying. And, you know, accordingly, the story was that uh, at the last minute, the umpire refused to say anything. So he had to give some lines to somebody, and he gave them the tour. So, you know, so that that one of the the main stars had lines in the, you know, because Pharaoh was already dead when they actually started Mm -hmm. filming it. You know, and so, anyway, so, I mean, there's some really crazy, there's some crazy stuff in there. Yeah. That because that's what makes it almost like kids getting together and making a movie, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very uh, fresh, in a sense. And from Bob Blackburn, we have a very touching and personal story about who one of his favorite players was in the Edwood Pantheon. Well, after I met Kathy, she reconnected with Paul Marco. Why do I get hooked up with these spook details? Monsters, graves, bodies. Oh, all right. And Paul was always uh, remained a good friend of Ed and Kathy's all through the hard times, as did a couple other people, um, including David Ward, who kind of came into our circle too. But David never really appeared in any of Ed's early films. He, 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 and Ed actually acted as extras in a couple of uh, the Apostoloff movies, like Dropout Wife, and I think like Airline Stewardesses or something like that. They were drinking buddies, and they'd every Friday night they'd watch old westerns on TV until Ed and Kathy'd start fighting. But I, I, I like Paul. I, Paul was a, a sweet, gentle guy, and he only hit on me a couple of times, which I thought was that was okay because he was gay. And he lost his boyfriend, Kathy told me this, like in the 60s, I think it was. And it just, just, it it turned Paul's life inside out. And I, you know, only knew him for those few years. Ironically, he passed away just a few months before Kathy did back in 2006. I went to his wake at the Formosa Cafe here in Hollywood, uh, and that's where I actually met Jason Insulaka, who was Paul's grandnephew, and is the one who bought the, what we call the trunk, which had uh, a whole trove of Ed's personal memorabilia 
to anytime we'd have a birthday party for Kathy, you know, 75th, 76th, whatever it was, Paul was always invited. And I sometimes had little Thanksgiving dinners in my apartment. Paul was always invited. You know, if he didn't have a place to go, we'd go over and pick him up and bring him back over. And he and Kathy would sit there and tell stories and have fun. So, you know, and, and he was a sweetheart. I actually sat next to him at a screening of the Ed Wood film. Uh, in 1994, they had a, a cast and crew screening out in West uh, Los Angeles that I got invited to, and Paul was there, so I sat next to him. And it was interesting watching Paul Marco watch himself on screen being played by another actor. Oh, why do I always get hooked up with these spook details? Monsters, graves, bodies. One of the last questions I had for our roundtable was what they thought Ed Wood's contributions were in the long run to pop culture or entertainment or art in general? The easy answer for me is that his boundless creativity and drive to keep producing works, whether he had the money to do them the way he envisioned or not, is true inspiration to me. And I have to believe a lot of other artists because I've seen an indelible mark in so many different works, whether it's somebody you know as big as David Lynch or Tim Burton, or independent artists, such as myself or a friend of mine, Chris Yambar, who did a series of paintings based on Ed Wood and characters in his films. So to me, Ed Wood is a muse for the ages. Let's see what everybody else says. Once again, Joe Blevins. He has contributed a lot of indelibly strange moments that could not have been written or conceived by anyone else. Uh, lots of people had what I would say parallel careers to Ed. Um, you know, I, I keep finding, uh, you know, B filmmakers from the 50s or porno filmmakers from the 70s who had lives or careers vaguely paralleling Ed's, even like similar things like the alcoholism, you know, and similar kind of like um, ups and downs and mostly like sort of like the slow, slow, slow decline that, that marked, uh, Ed's last 20 years on earth, I guess. Um, so there's, there's a lot of guys like Ed, but one thing that I've found is a lot of times their movies are really boring and generic and not that interesting. And what Ed has, uh, contributed are all these moments that no one else could have done. You know, when you think about Eros in Plan 9 from Outer Space uh, delivering that um, soliloquy about the solar night or solar night bomb and how, uh, how mankind is going to blow up the universe. And imagine, you know, the, the sun is a giant gas can and imagine the ray of sun as like a line of gasoline leading to that can you know, suddenly you light a match and then you strike the match and then the, uh, the line of gasoline is going to go up to the gas can and make it explode. You know, I don't think uh, any other writer or director could have come up with that. The thing that I, I discovered in uh, going through his short stories, uh, and I would love to plug a book that uh, Bob Blackburn uh, edited and coordinated called uh, Blood Spatters Quickly, is that Ed had very particular words and phrases that he loved to use over and over again. And he had themes that he loved to return to over and over again. So what I would say about Ed was that 
uh, a lot of his work was very uh, mercenary. You know, it was mercenary work. It was, um, you know, it, he was making genre films for cheap uh, budgets that were intended to turn a quick profit. You know, that was the hope always. And then when he made pornography, outright pornography, obviously you have very mercenary um, motives there as well. You know, you just want to get that money. You know, you just, if it's like a peep show loop or something, you want whatever. You want the guy's 25 cents or something. But uh, what Ed did was he worked within those genres and he still managed to put in all of his own fears and fetishes and foibles into the stuff that he wrote so that uh, a good deal of it feels personal rather than just being assembly line stuff. That's what I would say Ed Wood has contributed to the world. And here's Rick Tell's take on the Ed Wood legacy. Honestly, in his lifetime, I don't think he had much contribution at all. Um, I think after the Golden Turkey, and he was selected as the worst director, worst movie, you know, Plan 9, I think people love the fact that he was the worst and the underdog, you know. Uh, I think that's really where he... Uh, he started having a pop culture present, uh, you know, after the Golden Turkey. I think it took, uh, and, yeah, I, I, you know, I have a song that ends the show called Golden Turkey, which is, you know, basically, uh, it says, be careful what you wish for. And uh, though I escaped oblivion, it was a blessing and a curse. I'm respected for being the worst. <laughs> and, uh, that's and great. That's, you know, and that's, and, and that's, you know, part of the concept. But the other thing is uh, Edward's contribution. Well, um, I think I think if people look at Edward in a, in a more general sense, and that is uh, the whole reason I changed the name to Dreamer, the Edward musical, uh, or movie musical in this case, is because, you know, Edward was a dreamer, and he stuck to his dream, even though, you know, his life, for those people who don't know, you know, I mean, he drank himself to death and died at about 58 years old. And, um, but he did, you know, he was, he was who he was. He was true to himself. He was, you know, he was a transvestite when, at a time when being a transvestite and doing it in a movie and starting it about yourself was like professionally and maybe physically dangerous. <laughs> Definitely. You know, I, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, uh, Rock Hudson didn't come out, you know, for years and years and years of being gay. And uh, Ed Wood, you know, his first and only starring role in a movie was with, well, a starring role at least, was uh, with him, his story about his being a transvestite. So, I mean, so he was pretty... You know, true himself, and he and he wanted to be accepted for who he was. So there's been, you know, there's a lot of positive messages, um, you know, amongst the demons that were also part of his life too. But the, but to me, you know, his his being true to himself, his you know, wanting to be accepted for who he was, he wasn't going to change, uh, and the fact that uh, he had the guts to follow his dream. Even though, you know, if you look at his career, it was one smack after another. And, um, you know, eventually it, it took its toll. 
but um, but he really uh, he did a lot more than many people with more talent who don't have the courage to do. And lastly, Bob Blackburn. That is an interesting question. I mean, I, I've seen his name as an answer to a New York Times crossword puzzle. You know, go figure. Um, I I mean, it's in some quarters. I think for the general public that even knows who or have heard of Ed or maybe saw the film, it's more of a joke than anything else. You know, to to laugh at this inept filmmaker. And their idea of that is totally Johnny Depp, and that's it. You know, they have no clue of um, anything else that Ed may or may not have done. Um, the more hardcore people are totally aware of his writings and uh, both short fiction and the the novels. I mean, he is the epitome of cult film director. You know, I mean, if you look that word up in the dictionary, that's probably what you're going to find. To me, I find the ironic thing is that the Medved brothers, at least one of them, did a book in 1978 when Ed was still alive called The 50 Worst Movies of All Time. You know how many Ed Wood films are in that book? Absolutely none. Not one. The real story, and the story that hasn't been told yet, in fact, I started to write a play about it, uh, are the last years of Ed's life, you know, and my play actually takes place on the last couple days, the last week of his life. I'm not a playwright by any stretch of the imagination. I know some. I really do. I really know real playwrights, and I would be afraid to show my play to them unless I finished it and rewrote it a couple of times at least, and then I would submit it to my friends to get their feedback on it. But I just felt it was important to tell that story. I, I wish somebody would make the movie, like the way the way the Disney film ends, and I refer to it as a Disney movie because mm-hmm. it has a happy ending. They get in the car and they go to Vegas and get married. Is what happens after that, from that point to the point where Ed dies. The ironic thing is, there's another happy ending after that. Ed becomes famous. And in Rick, Rick Tell's musical, it's one of those be careful what you wish for kind of things. So there is a happy ending. There is a Disney, literally a Disney ending after all the stuff that they went through as a married couple to his death, thrown out on the sidewalk, all their furniture, all their clothes. Their dogs are in a kennel. They go to a friend's apartment. Three days later, Eddie is dead. And then Kathy has to deal with the Veterans Administration, try and get some money from them. And she ends up moving back to the apartment building that, that she and I lived in, and I live right next door to it, is right behind 6383 Yucca Street, where they were evicted. Mm-hmm. She moved back into this neighborhood because she knew people here. She still had friends in the neighborhood. So it was a bittersweet thing for her to do. I just happened upon it, you know. But I, I walked by the Playboy liquor store almost every day. I, yeah. I go by 6383 Yucca almost every day. You know, I'm in their hood, literally. And it's only, like Rick Tell has a song called 600 Steps, the distance between their apartment and the corner of Hollywood and Vine, 600 Steps. And that's mm. the dream that Ed never realized until his death. My last question for everybody at the end of this first edition of Out of the Woodworks is... Has Ed Wood made your life better or worse? And I can say without a doubt, Ed Wood has made my life better. His art has brought me joy and inspiration. As I mentioned before, 
And there is an eternal optimism in a lot of his work that I haven't seen from other artists and creators. He did deal with a lot of tragedy, a lot of heartache, a lot of struggles, but there are still so many inspiring moments in his life. I can absolutely say his life made my life better. Let's see what Joe Blevins has to say. Ed Wood has made my life better and worse. Uh, he has helped me uh, connect with wonderful people. Uh, he has um, taken me on adventures because I've gone pretty far out of my way to see some of his movies. One time I traveled, I don't normally travel, and I traveled to New York to attend uh, an Ed Wood festival there. And I've gotten to meet great people. Uh, I've gotten to actually talk with some people who worked with Ed or who knew him. And uh, that has been fantastic. He has made my life worse in that Edward Wednesdays does not actually, this will shock you and your, uh, and your listeners, but uh, Edward Wednesdays does not bring in any money. Uh, it is not a great uh, money raiser. And buying books and DVDs and Blu-rays and traveling out to New York has cost a lot of money and a lot of time. I think that was the reason why I gave up on writing, you know, the, the Edward Wednesday's articles a couple of years ago and turned it over to Greg was that uh, writing those articles took forever. And I remember sitting at my computer for hours and hours and hours trying to, you know, pack in every last bit of information I could about these uh, movies. And one I remember very specifically was writing a hugely long, and I hope people read it, please do, uh, review of The Young Marrieds, which is still to this day, the last feature film written and directed by Ed Wood that has been discovered is the last, is The Young Marrieds. But I remember writing that on New Year's Eve, and I was just trying to get it done with. But it's a hugely long, long, uh, detailed article. And there were times during the process of writing Ed Wood Wednesdays that I said that Ed felt like a taskmaster to me, like he's he's been dead 40 years and he's you know, like he's bossing me around, basically, you know, <laughs> like I have to watch all like, like, sometimes, especially the stuff that felt like a chore, like, some, like watching some of the porno loops kind of feels like a chore sometimes. So the other thing is that, like I say, I, I had a great experiences writing uh, about Ed, I never would have gotten interviewed by the New York Times, if it hadn't been for Ed Wood, I was like, Oh, wow, I was quoted in the New York Times, uh, which never would have happened otherwise. But uh, gradually, Ed Wood came to uh, overtake my entire blog. My blog was supposed to be about all kinds of things, but eventually, you know, it was like it was like crabgrass. It like took over the whole yard. You know? <laughs> Did Edward D. Wood Jr. make Rick Tell's life better? Let's find out. Well, not really. I mean, uh, I mean, it would be great if the movie gets made. You know, I mean, and I enjoyed as a songwriter, especially lyrically, writing the writing the uh, you know the songs about different characters and the different uh, you know and, and different ideas. So I mean, I enjoyed working with the characters and you know writing. You know, hopefully the the movie gets produced and, and you know, and then the message gets out there, and then yeah, then obviously it'll make my life better in many ways because I've worked since 1993 on this project, really. So it'd be nice to get you know to get it out there. That's you know, I think it would be great. Up to now, I've actually lost the money. 
okay? No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not, it hasn't improved my life my, financially. I'm, I'm in the hole about 10 grand. But, uh, but anyway, but that's, you know, that's not why we do things, okay? That, at least not me. I mean, you know, I mean, I, you have to have things that you love to do, you know, as well as things that make money. And let's see if Ed Wood has made Bob Blackburn's life better. Well, yes, uh, in, in so many different ways. I mean, when I moved to Hollywood in 1989, you could have told me two things. One, that I would have worked in theater as a sound designer and won two major awards. I would have, gone, I would have just shook, shook, shook my head and said, no way, Jose. The other would have been, you're going to end up becoming an heir of Ed Wood. And I would have, my jaw would have dropped. I was, you know, how could that have ever come to be? There's just no way. I just, you know, but it did. And here I am and here we are talking about it. And so, yes, um, even though I never met Ed, and I can't say I feel like I know him. I feel like a little bit through Kathy, I know him. Uh, Obviously, I know, knew her, um, fairly well i think um and it's only made my life more interesting and fuller uh and not dolores but fuller in general for the people that i've met and for the experiences that i've had and for the future because uh because ed's not going to go away you know uh, people like that their flames burn a little brighter from time to time when something new comes out whether they discover a new long-lost film or a, and, and his, when these books come out, the, the recent book about his military service or the scripts with him and Bela uh, that Gary Rhodes did or the next couple books of short stories that I put out. So who knows? You know, I, I look forward to the future of Ed Wood because I don't want to quote Criswell here, but... It cheers on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I had I myself I had I myself know. muted, and I was like, "Is he going to do it? Is he going to do it?" <laughs> no, no. I'll let you do it. I'll let you can play the clip for uh, yeah, me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll, uh, and I'm that'll sure you will. <laughs> it'll probably be used and abused all throughout this series. Ah, greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives, whether we want to or not. And remember, my friend, these future events will affect you. The future is in your hands. So let us remember the past, honor the present, and be amused at the future. Okay, I had a little fun there. That actually wasn't the beginning of Plan 9 from Outer Space, but that was the opening to Criswell's... uh, The legendary Criswell predicts your incredible future from 1970, an LP release in 1970 which I happen to have a digital copy of. So there you go. I think that should be under fair use. Let's keep our fingers crossed. And lastly, we're going to get to some final thoughts here from our roundtable. So here once more is Joe Blevins. Sometimes people say they can't find Edward Wednesdays or whatever. Just Google the phrase Edward Wednesdays. Edward Wednesdays will come up. And it should take you right to the, like just doing a Google search will take you right to that uh, index page that I made. But if you wind up on my main page, which is d2rights.blogspot.com, look for the logo up top. It's the one with the yellow blonde lady uh, and the newspapers behind her. Uh, Underneath there are uh, tabs that have different subjects on them. 
Edward Wednesdays is the first tab. So you should not have any problems finding Edward Wednesdays. Just go to the first tab under the logo. But while you're at my site, look off to your right. There is a sidebar that tells you other stuff that's not related to Ed Wood that I've also done. So uh, people only ever ask me about Ed Wood. So uh, he's part of my life, but he's not my whole life. And uh, so I've, I've done other things. You know, I really have. Um, so I think, I don't know, this is maybe the third or fourth uh, podcast I've ever done. And I think they've all been about Ed Wood in the last couple of years. So I do other <laughs> stuff. I have other interests, too. I hate to break up the order of interviewees, but here's a ringing endorsement from Bob Blackburn on Ed Wood Wednesdays. Yeah, I know you've seen the the Ed Wood Wednesdays that Joe and Greg do, but mm-hmm. um, if you go back there, I, I I don't I post it every so often. It's like the index of all of those Ed Wood Wednesdays going all the way back to when Joe first started this out. Yeah, and it's such a great resource. And and when Blood Splatters Quickly come, came out. He, I think I'd mentioned this to you before. He actually did every, like a Wednesday for each story, which I thought was way more than he needed to do, but he was so enthused about that that he did do that. So I'm hoping maybe something like that will happen when the uh, the next volume comes out here in the fall. And here's a parting shot from Rick Tell, once again regarding his screenplay for the musical movie about Edward's life, Dreamer. We're looking for a producer for the movie, you know, and I mean, if anybody out there is interested in, you know, in producing uh, this movie. And, and um, we've got, a, I think, a very good script that tells the story. Uh, the, the screenplay tells the story of Bob Blackburn, um, who was Kathy Wood's neighbor, who wound up helping her get money uh, out of Disney for uh, her rights to the, uh, the Johnny Depp movie, which they, you know, they had totally ignored her until he help to get a lawyer and this and that. So it's, that's part of it. But, but in the, in the meantime, you have their friendship and, um, develop and he's helping her. And in the meantime, he's, she's telling him all different stories about Ed. Uh, you know, and, and so, uh, and it's quite interesting. So in flashback, you get the Ed Wood and the, the, in the real time, you get the story, the Kathy Wood story. So it was a story within a story. But, um, you know, I would, uh, you know, people to check out the, the SoundCloud, uh, the Facebook page. And, um, I have a new web page. Uh, should be done in about two months. So we're in the middle of working on it right now. And that'll have a lot uh, of this stuff on it, too. Um, um, a, whole, a whole page uh, dedicated to the Edward uh, Project uh, with pictures and music and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, you know, people seem to really enjoy the music. And uh, like I said, I've worked really hard on it. And uh, I would would like it to get out there. And to close out this inaugural edition of Out of the Woodworks, once again, here's Bob Blackburn. For me, it's, it's, you know, I started a Facebook group. I'm helping put out these books, which I feel I owe it to Ed's fans, people like myself that want to know more. You know, good on you, Edward. You know, you done you done good after all. This has been Out of the Woodworks. I'm your host, Kenny Pick, and I want to express my gratitude to Joe Blevins, Rick Tell, Bob Blackburn, and the rest of the community on the Edward Jr. page on Facebook 
for showing an interest and support for this podcast. Special thanks, of course, to my wife, Susan, for tolerating me and my tastes in movies, and my family over at Indie Media Weekly for supporting my creativity and other nonsense. This podcast was produced, recorded, and edited by little old me, Kenny Pick. The intro and outro music are legally acquired, royalty-free music, and all movie clips used within fall under fair use. Stay tuned for the next episode of Out of the Woodworks, and until then, long live Edward D. Wood Jr.